the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Ron Geyer Roofing. The Bible describes events that will mark the last days, or end times. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Matthew 24.44 tells us, Therefore you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect Him. Bible teacher Ron Geyer leads us through Scripture that will help us to remain strong in the Lord. End Time Insights with Bible teacher Ron Geyer starts now. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, everybody. Ron Geyer here at KKHT Radio. Privileged to be on and privileged to know that somebody's listening out there. Hallelujah. Uh, Last week, we had mentioned that we were starting our series on the book of Revelation again in our Bible study. And as of now, I don't really plan to teach that on the radio. That may change. But I do want to continue to grab some stuff out of there that's going to be really encouraging and necessary for the church as we head into these final days. There's some salient points and reference points that I think are really important. Last week, for instance, uh, we were talking about the seven golden candlesticks in Revelation chapter 1, or lampstands, uh, that the Lord uh, was talking about. And he wanted me to share with you last week that view, that the view that Jesus has of his church. Faults and all, he still sees us as golden. Remember, they were golden candlesticks. So, you mean Jesus sees us by faith? I guess so, because we definitely don't look golden from where I sit. But that's okay. God's not finished with us yet. He promised to perfect that, which concerns us. Amen. He also wanted me to share with you last week that the special care that Jesus has for the church. Remember, we talked about that in his right hand, he holds the stars or the angelos or the messengers or the pastors is the best translation there. The ministry leaders, he holds them in his right hand. That uh, right hand word, I think it was kratos, means a masterful grip. It's a strong grip. You aren't going to slip out. I mean, you could pull yourself away and pull yourself away and try and try and try. But he was going to fight with you on that. He had you in a strong, masterful, powerful grip. Also, the fact that he does a constant outward observation as well as an inward examination of each church should help keep us on the straight and narrow. Remember, we talked about the fact that he walks around the churches. Remember, the Greek word was peripatos. Peri meaning around, pathos meaning a well-worn, well-known path that Jesus is on all the time. And then we also see that he was in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, performing an inward examination. So that's what we spoke about last week. I want to pick up from there, but I wanted to mention uh, this morning when I was reading, I'm reading Marilyn Hickey's Read Through the Bible in One Year, and that's her plan that I'm using. I'm also doing another one with my church, so I'm doing two. Thank the Lord that they pretty much start from the beginning, so I'm not reading Genesis or Exodus twice all the time. But anyway, I was reading to it, and the New Testament reading in Marilyn's plan is Matthew 26, and that was where he uh, is betrayed by Judas, and where they actually have the sham trial of Jesus, where they try to find people to accuse him of this and that and everything like that. And as I was reading, you know, the prominent news story is the trial of Trump. They're trying to impeach Trump already, which 
You cannot impeach a president that's no longer in office. It's not constitutional. But these people, they don't care about the law. They're not restrained by morality. They're not restrained by the Constitution. They're not restrained by any form of ethical guidelines. They just do whatever they want. They need to make new laws. They'll make new laws. The Constitution doesn't apply to them. And so I was looking at all the accusations on Trump, and as I'm reading the accusations on Christ, I go, wow, this is very similar. And it just struck me, you know, Satan does this all the time. He's done it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times in the past. He's been around for 2,000 years, probably 4,000 years before that, doing his business, just fighting against righteousness at every opportunity. So this is old hat to him. So I just want to tell you as members of the church, don't get bent out of shape. Don't worry about it. I really don't know what the American political landscape is going to look like in the future. Uh, Yes, I have my preference. I have my druthers. I know what I'm praying for. I have not given up. And that's the title of today's message, by the way, Never Give Up. I have not given up. And yet, at the end of the day, I know that Jesus Christ, thus saith the Lord, is the king of the rulers of the earth. And he will be ruling and reigning with us. Hallelujah. Uh, And that's not too far in the future. So rejoice for our redemption draweth near. But today, especially in this current climate, I want to share with you one of our favorite lessons. We call it Never Give Up. We taught it 10, 15 years ago when we were teaching marriage classes. And the church needs lessons like this. We have had thousands of lessons on faith and prosperity and God's goodness and how to get blessed. Now it's time for something that will help you get through the hard times that are upon us. We have offered the church enough, more than enough of five cents realm solutions. And you know what I'm talking about. We've substituted classes for the Holy Spirit of God. We have counseling for everything. We've got divorce care right next to marriage maintenance class. We teach you how to be a successful financially, healthy soul seminars. I mean, you name it, church has got it. And these are all five cents realm attempts to try to fix the spiritual solutions that we have in our nation today. Unfortunately, carnal solutions don't fix spiritual problems. If we continue to only offer the people of God, if we continue to only offer those that don't know Christ, carnal solutions in an attempt to fix their spiritual problems, we will continue to be ineffective in today's world. The idea isn't about living carnally successfully in a carnal world. The success happens when we live spiritually in the carnal world in which we live. My Bible doesn't tell me to give up and to quit and to move past maybe an unsuccessful marriage. It it tells me to fight for my marriage. It doesn't say try your best. God doesn't give A for effort. I'm sorry. You know, we would tell our marriage classes if the devil can get your marriage, you give him, get you to violate that marital covenant between not just you and your wife, but you, your wife and God. If he can get you to break that covenant of marriage, then we all know what he's coming after next. My Bible tells me to fight. It tells me to stand. It tells me to wrestle. It tells me to take and to cast out, to cast down, to pursue, to persuade, to resist. It tells me to speak. Paul says we are not to quit. He says in 2 Corinthians 4.1, look look at this. This is so important. Since God has given us this wonderful ministry, we never give up. That was Paul's heart. Paul was fabulous. You're going to love this. Remember, wonderful ministry. Paul called what God gave him a wonderful ministry. 2 Corinthians 4.1, let me quote the scripture. And so, since God in his mercy has given us this wonderful ministry, we never give up. Now get ready. He said that while writing this. Paul also says of his ministry in 2 Corinthians 11, 23, 24, 25, 26, and 27, but I, Paul, 
have served him, Jesus, far more. I have worked harder. I have been put in jail more often. I have been whipped times without number, faced death again and again and again. Five different times the Jews gave me their terrible 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was even stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I was in open sea all night and the whole next day. I have traveled many weary miles and I have been often in great danger from flooded rivers, from robbers, even from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the hands of the Gentiles. I have faced grave dangers from mobs in the cities and from death in the deserts and in many stormy seas from men who claim to be brothers in Christ but are not. I have lived with weariness and pain and had many sleepless nights. Often I've been hungry and thirsty and have gone without food. And often I have shivered with cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Wow. Wonderful ministry? Is that a uh, typo in the New Testament? No, Paul called it a wonderful ministry. How do you think that that testimony flies in the face of today's prosperity gospel? Hmm? You could take that, what he's talking about there, on his personal life, and you could probably destroy every type of blessing that we feel we have earned or God has blessed us with because we're seated in heavenly places. Well, Paul was seated in heavenly places too. How come all that stuff happened to Paul? Maybe we've taught the wrong gospel. Maybe we've rewritten the gospel where we no longer tell us the hard truths because that would not bring a crowd in. People, why would you want to support a ministry where all that's going to happen to you is abuse, persecution, tribulation, suffering? Why would you want to be involved with someone that's going to tell you that? Well, maybe it's because of the truth. Second Corinthians 4, 8 and 9. Here's Paul again. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are not broken. We are perplexed, but we don't give up and quit. We are hunted down, but God never abandons us. We get knocked down, but we get up again and we keep on going. And yet Paul says, God gave me a wonderful ministry. I love that so much. You know? What's your wonderful ministry? If you're alive, you have a wonderful ministry. And if you're a Christian, you recognize what that wonderful ministry is. You know, we, we've taught marriage classes for 10 years. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful ministry. No greater reward than having a young lady come up with a baby in her arms telling us she would not have had that baby if she did not attended, had not attended the classes that Diane and myself taught. I love that. I love that. I love that. That's fabulous. And yet, not everybody has a type of ministry like that. Now we're doing end time insights. But my first ministry is to my wife, to my family, to my home. Diane is the wonderful ministry that I've been given. I've not gone through anything like Paul did. And I doubt if you have also. But your family, your life, your job, your friends, this is all part of the wonderful ministry that God has given you. And you need to be doing it. And you need to be doing it faithfully. Oh, and what did Paul said? I don't give up and I quit. None of you have gone through what Paul had to go through. And yet he says it somewhere else. Where is it? Paul four eleven through 13. To this very hour, we have gone hungry and thirsty without even enough clothes. We stay cold. We have been kicked around outside of our homes. We have no homes. We have worked wearily with our hands to earn our living. We have blessed those who've cursed us. We have been patient with those who injured us. We have replied quietly when evil things have been said about us. Yet, right up until the present time, hallelujah, we are like dirt, underfoot. We are like garbage. We're treated like garbage. You know, 
You're not going through that stuff. I know you're not. You live in America. You are blessed to be living in this nation. And yet you are ill-equipped to face the tribulation that's coming, especially under this current form of government that we have. You need to be trained how to fight to win. You know, you deserve better. Your family deserves better. You deserve God's very best. God's best is always Jesus. His best is always the word. Don't settle for anything less. If you're in a church that's not giving you God's very best, the word, the word uncompromisingly, the word, all of it, the hard stuff, the good stuff, the easy stuff, the happy stuff, the threatening stuff, the warning stuff. If you're not getting that on a weekly basis from your church, if you are not feeding on that on a daily basis on your own private devotionals, then you are ill-equipped to face the trouble that's coming. Well, that's even here. I'm going to take you over to Revelation now, and I want to give you scriptures in the same vein that support everything that Paul was talking about here. Revelation 2, chapter 2, verse 2. Jesus talking to the church at Ephesus. And by the way, Ephesus. Ephesus was when you came from Rome and you entered into uh, Asia. You came into the port city of Ephesus. And Ephesus, there was probably about a quarter of a million people in that city at that time. It was the largest city in that region. They had the largest church in that region. It is where everybody came in. It was an apostolic church. It was a ministry church. The other churches, Thyatira, Smyrna, um, Laodicea, Philadelphia, Sardis, all those other churches, uh, Thyatira, one of my missing programs, they all were birthed out of the ministry from Paul and Timothy and even John that established the first church in the region, which was Ephesus. It had a great impact. It had a socio-economic, spiritual impact on the entire region. It was the seat of Christianity in that region. It also had a tremendous demonic influence in the nation, in, in the Western region over there, in Western Asia. And you wanted to make sure that if you look on the history, you're going to find out the persecution that they remember Timothy, Paul telling Timothy, Timothy was getting scared. He was, you know, people were losing. Domitian was the emperor. People were being destroyed. They were losing their lives for persecution. And yet this church, when you read the entire letter, I'm not going to talk about the entire letter. I want to make just one verse and break it down for you to see the tribulation that they were under, the words that God was using, that Jesus was using to encourage his church. And you're going to see the similarities between Jesus talking to the church there, how to handle their persecution, and Paul, how he handled his persecution. But remember, the constant theme in both of them was never give up. Don't quit. Our churches today could learn an awful lot by this. Uh, Revelation 2.2, I know thy works, and I know thy labor, and I know thy patience. And we're just going to focus on those three words. Jesus knew the works, he knew the labor, and he knew the patience of the people, the saints, the church at Ephesus. And I love the fact, you know, you think when Jesus was doing the seven letters, most of the time you're getting yelled at. Five of the seven churches got yelled at. Ephesus got yelled at big time. And yet Jesus is commending them here for their works and their labor and their patience. In the book of Revelation, Jesus is seen. He encourages, he rebukes, he congratulates, he corrects, he warns, he promises the church both rewards and a loss of rewards based upon their behavior. Here, the saints at Ephesus, he tells them he knows all about them. He knows their labor. This is not just work that the Lord is talking about. The Greek word here for labor is kopos. Notice Jesus has two separate um, designations. I know thy works and I know thy labor. You could almost put the labor underneath the works, but the labor is like a, a, a 
fleshes it out when he talks about the works. And so you're going to love the, that word, Kopos, K-O-P-O-S. He knows their labor. And this labor, it's just not a work that the Lord is talking about. It's just not a ministry work that the Lord is talking about. Remember, they were trying those that said they were apostles. Why? Because if you wanted to make it in another church, you came to Ephesus first. And if you made it, if you struck it rich as someone that could preach the gospel, you had the works manifesting. You had the signs and the wonders manifesting. Your doctrine was correct. If you could make it at Ephesus, you could make it at any church in that region. That's why Paul, later in the letter, Jesus is telling them, I congratulate you for trying those that say they are apostles and are not. But that's off the beaten path. Let's go back to Kopos, K-O-P-O-S. The Amplified Translation says it's toil that the saints are doing, their works, their labor. When you translate Kopos literally, it is used as the most serious kind of labor that one could be undertaking. They are giving their all. Jesus is telling them that, like Paul, they aren't giving up because of hardship. They aren't quitting. The word copus describes someone who is working to the point of fatigue. They are giving everything that's in them. They are laboring hard for the cause of Christ. Everything that they've been given, they're going to succeed in the assigned task. They've left nothing when they are done. In football parlance, it would be they literally left it all out on the field. I'm sure you've heard that phrase. And let me show you, this is not the exception. This is what's required in Christianity today to every church. Yes, Jesus spoke to Ephesus. And, you know, that has got to encourage you. He was complimenting them on their labor. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, Paul writes this. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor, your Kopos is not in vain in the Lord. Kopos is once again used here for labor. This just wasn't something that was exclusive to the church at Ephesus. We are required to be working for God to the point of exhaustion. We are not supposed to be holding anything back when we serve the Lord. When we commit to Christianity, there is a requirement that we are going to do the works of God. Remember, you were created for good works. Remember, from the foundation of the world. And so Jesus compliments them and here Paul encourages us. And that's why I love what Paul was saying. The reason Paul's works were so laborious, they were so full of toil, they were so full of pressure and challenge was because he did it under persecution all the time. He did it under tribulation all the time. Looking back recently, back to March or April, when all the churches were forced, when we chose to shut down, you know, we've missed the boat. I mean, we're not even close to having this type of attitude that's necessary to be commended by God to promote the gospel, to get the word of God out where we are bearing fruit and that fruit remains. That's where we're supposed to be working. That's what we're supposed to be doing. So the word for labor there is kopos. It applied to Ephesus. It applies to us. He also knows our patience. This is a great word. Patience. The Greek word is hupomone. It's a word used in the New Testament in several different places concerning the saints. It's a common theme for the saints that we are to be patient. But patience isn't really patience as we understand it. It goes much deeper than our simple understanding of patience. Rick Renner, I love him, a master student of the Greek, he explains it like this. In the military sense, hupomone, patience, It's picturing soldiers ordered to maintain their positions in the face of opposition. 
That's our instructions from God, from Christ. We're supposed to be maintaining our position. When we decide to shut down because the government pressures us, that's not maintaining our position. We are giving ground away that belongs to us. It pictures soldiers ordered to maintain their positions in the face of opposition. We will no longer shut down if if the government threatens us. We will not give in. We will continue to stand our ground. We will keep those things which God has committed to us against that day. It suggests one who defiantly sticks it out regardless of the pressures mounted against him. Can you go back to Paul thinking about Paul in the seas being whipped, being stoned, being persecuted and... I mean, he says he got whipped by the Jews 39 lashes five times. I mean, that's heavy-duty stuff. You know, it is staying power. It's the ability to hang in there power. When God uses the word or Jesus uses the word patience, hupomone, that is the effort he's requiring of us. Good news, that is the effort that the Ephesians were giving to the Lord Jesus Christ. I love it. That is Fabulous. If the, the people at Ephesus, they had other problems, okay? They left. They walked away from their first love. But in the meantime, Jesus is congratulating them because they're patient. They had staying power. They had hang in their power. It is the attitude that holds out, holds on, outlasts, perseveres, and hangs in there and never gives up. It refuses to surrender to obstacles, and it turns down every opportunity to quit. I can't tell you the strength of what that word means and how excited I get when I think about it, because that's exactly what Paul was saying. I'm not quitting. I don't care what happens. I'm not quitting. Jesus patting the church at Ephesus on the back. You guys are doing great, man. I love it. That's fantastic. That's where we need to be today. We have got to adopt that attitude, but it's not going to happen if we keep hearing sermons on how how to get rich and how to use our faith to acquire things we never told about the persecution and the tribulation that we're coming through, that we're facing today. I mean, you know, so many of us are bent out of shape that Mr. Trump did not get reelected again. Well, I got news for you. It shouldn't matter. You know, I post on Facebook and somebody was telling me, uh, somebody posted uh, about the church is going in mid-tribulation. And I said, no, the church is going before the rapture. And I gave him before the tribulation that belongs to the Jew, not to the time of the church. And I gave him scriptures and everything. And somebody asked me a question, Ron, what are you going to do when you're wrong? I said, well, it's not a big issue. I said, I am not waiting for an event. I am waiting for a person. And so because my eyes are on Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter whether I'm sitting here and raptured at the advent of the tribulation in the middle, in the end. It doesn't really matter. I don't care. My eyes are fixed on Jesus. I am waiting for Jesus Christ to come back. Last thing on Hupamone. It pictures someone who's under a heavy load but refuses to bend or break or surrender. Why? Because he is convinced that the territory or the promise, or the principle under assault rightfully belongs to him. I know my position in Christ. I know my marriage is his. I know my faith is his. I know the things he has given me. I am committed to Christ. I know in whom I have believed him, and I am persuaded he is able to keep those things which I have committed unto him against that day. That day has become this day, and it's going to be tomorrow too. You need to convince yourself, I will not quit. A far cry from the church today. Let me look at Abraham. Romans 4.1, and being fully persuaded that what God had promised Abraham, he also was able to perform. Can we have that mindset? Can we get there that the things that we've committed unto God, God said it, therefore it's a done deal. There used to be a bump sticker out there. God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Got nothing to do with whether you believe it or not. God said it, and that settles it. If you believe it, then you can appropriate the promises of God. 
Hats off to the saints at Ephesus. Jesus congratulated them because despite the great persecution brought upon them by wicked Emperor Domitian, they did not give in to the pressure. They refused to quit. As we get close to the end times here, as the uh, return of Christ is imminent, you can look all around you and see what's happening. I want to give you an opportunity to know the Jesus that we talk about personally. I cannot tell you the miracle after miracle, daily miracles. I'm not talking about raising the dead. I'm talking about the fact that he has delivered me from alcohol, tobacco, sexual sin, uh, steal. I mean, I've had a terrible... uh, (laughs) childhood before Christ. I mean, he saved me, he delivered me, and I'm free now. And you have that same opportunity, and all you have to do is recognize your need for a Savior. Recognize the fact that you were born in sin, that you are a sinner, and God gives you the opportunity he gives everybody. You can repent of that sin. Recognize the fact that you have a need for a Savior. You know, if I just offer you salvation without ever telling you that you're a sinner, there's no urgency there. You know, you have no, well, I don't need it. It's an option. No, salvation is not an option. Jesus said you must be born again. You must acknowledge your need for a Savior, repent of your sin, ask him into your life, receive his Holy Spirit, and then you become born again where his Holy Spirit starts living inside you. He'll put a supernatural hunger inside you for the word of God. That's what the kingdom of heaven is all about. That's what salvation looks like. I pray that you take advantage of it. Today is a day of salvation, that you come to know him and the power of his resurrection. Thank you for joining us for End Time Insights with Ron Geyer. Listen again next Sunday night at 8 on 100.7 The Word, where faith comes by hearing. You can also listen to the podcast of this program by going to kkht.com. If you would like to contact Ron, email him at gospelguy at comcast.net.